Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter about the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Bridge Bank. Be bold. Venture wisely. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, Uber gets ready for its IPO and Democrats battle over electronic tax filings. But first, walking on the moon. So last week, Vice President Mike Pence told NASA that the Trump administration wants humans back on the moon by 2024. That at the direction of the president of the United States, it is the stated policy of this administration and the United States of America to return American astronauts to the moon within the next five years. And let me be clear, the first woman and the next man on the moon will both be American astronauts launched by American rockets from American soil. So Pence referred to this initiative as urgent, although we don't really know yet if it was sparked by concerns over things like international competition or maybe just presidential whim. Either way, it is a major escalation for NASA, whose plan had been to do this five years later. And it's a direct challenge not only to agency leadership, but also to Boeing, which is already under all sorts of pressure because Boeing is involved in the development of a heavy lift rocket that would probably be required for such a hastened mission. Now, Pence didn't offer too many other specifics, such as how NASA will pay for it. That will be up to Congress, which means that putting Americans on the moon may be directly correlated to how much Americans care about putting Americans on the moon. In 20 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios Space Editor Miriam Kramer. But first, this. Bridgebank believes in the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors, those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. That's why Bridgebank has been dedicated to providing financial solutions to sponsor-backed emerging technology and growth companies for nearly two decades through its national network of banking teams and offices. Bridgebank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridgebank, be bold, venture wisely. We're joined now by Miriam Kramer, editor of the new Axios Space Newsletter. Okay, so let's start here. Why is NASA working it all to get Americans back on the moon? Haven't we kind of been there, done that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a fair question. But I think that the point in this new mission is not just to, to go back, but to actually go there to stay. So to hear the administrator talk about it and, and to hear the way that they're, they're planning the, the mission, basically they want to create a sustainable way of moving people and supplies to and from the moon uh, in order to use it as a jumping off point to other places in the solar system like Mars. So Mike Pence last week uh, kind of relays Trump's desire to have this done or at least have the initial mission done by 2024. NASA had been planning you know, five years beyond that. How big a challenge, uh, technologically, bureaucratically, is it to move up the timeline by that much? I mean, it's a huge challenge. First of, like, first of all, they're not going to be able to sort of do this without bipartisan support from Congress. It needs to be funded in a way that NASA hasn't really been funded at those levels since the Apollo days. So basically what is going to have to happen now is Administrator Bridenstine is going to have to go back to Congress with an amended budget, and then that's going to need to be okayed. And NASA is going to have to be given a whole bunch more money to try to move up these dates. And it's not clear that there's enough public support and congressional support behind this in order to actually make it happen. So Trump obviously put his initial budget out maybe, I don't know, maybe three weeks ago at this point. I understand that's basically a rough draft for Congress, but NASA didn't have massively increased budget in that, didn't didn't ha basically have money for this mission in there. This came later. Yeah, no, not at all. It actually, they had money for a mission that would be landing on the moon in 2028. So 
this is a total reframing of, you know, what they had just submitted just a few weeks ago. How much of this, from your perspective, is maybe it's politically from the administration, how much of this is about international competition? We obviously have seen other countries, uh, Israel just without humans, but just soft landed a ship on the moon. How much of this is about wanting to keep up with other countries? I think that a lot of it has to do in many ways with trying to continue U.S. supremacy in space is what I'll say. There isn't really another country that has a moon mission on the books that could launch before 2024 or really even before 2028. So I think that a lot of this has to do with just you know, the kind of national pride more so than international competition. With that, who would be considered the folks we're trying to keep supremacy over? Are we? Are, is it basically China? Is that, yeah. is that basically who we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I think we're talking about China. So with this mission, can you give me a sense? So this is obviously NASA, but what role, if any, there's obviously been so much talk and and you've covered so much about kind of the the burgeoning private space industry in the U.S. in terms of rocket launches, et cetera. Would those companies have any role in this or will this be all public? Oh, yeah. I don't think that it's possible to do this without private partnerships as well. And I don't think that NASA would want to do it without private partnerships. At the moment, NASA is developing its space launch system rocket and Orion spacecraft, and those are going to be the main things that kind of get us to the moon, but everything else around that is kind of going to be up for grabs in the private sector. So you're going to have various companies working to develop these new robots, new whatever it might be, ascent modules, descent modules, uh, to get us back to the moon in what they say is a sustainable way. So uh, I think NASA actually just put out a pre-request for proposals, basically saying that they're going to be asking the private sector to give them proposals about these missions that could be launching in the next couple of years, really, to get the the moon set up for people to arrive by 2024. Miriam, since I have you, I want to ask you one other space question, which is totally unrelated to the moon. This morning, we got our first ever picture of a black hole, which, from what I can tell, um, for those who haven't seen it, it's kind of like a blurry version of the Sauron's eye from Lord of the Rings films. So h- how did we get this image and why do we care? I'm a big fan of black holes. I think they're very interesting. So this is this is a very exciting morning for all of the space nerds on Twitter. I've been seeing it. I'm, I'm watching it go through, yeah. We got this image using a whole bunch of radio telescopes around the world that basically worked in collaboration with one, one another to check out the black hole at the center of a galaxy called Messier 87. And they got this photo by using atomic clocks at each observatory to sync up their observations in order to make sure that they got the clearest picture possible because it's really hard to actually take these photos. The blurry Sauron's eye photo is really just this, basically it's like a shadow of a black hole because you can't directly image a black hole. That's effectively impossible since it pretty much emits no light. But what you're seeing is kind of this ring of gas and dust and light that's orbiting the black hole. So you see kind of the shadow of it. And this is important because, first of all, we've never seen something like this before. So just the, you know, the amazing reality of it is pretty cool. But from a practical standpoint, it also helps us to kind of validate more of Einstein's theory of general relativity. And in the future, it could help us sort of explain exactly what's going on with black holes in general, since they are so difficult to study and difficult to, to see. Miriam Kramer, please check out the Axios Space newsletter, which you can sign up for at Axios.com. My final two right after this. With offices in tech hubs throughout the country, including San Francisco, Boston, Atlanta, and now Seattle, BridgeBank continues to meet the innovation ecosystem wherever it thrives. 
and through its teams focused on technology and life sciences companies and the equity investors who fuel them, BridgeBank delivers a responsive, high-touch client experience. BridgeBank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Uber, which reportedly plans to file its IPO registration tomorrow with the SEC. We hear it plans to seek around $10 billion, which would make it the largest IPO of the year and one of the 10 largest of all time. So why it matters is that the rubber is finally about to meet the road for Uber, which has received the highest ever private valuation from venture capitalists. We'll learn way more about its unit economics, how it values its stakes in other private ride hail companies, and possibly the performance of burgeoning side businesses like Uber E. To date, all we've really gotten is data that Uber itself cherry picks and sends to reporters. This should be a much fuller picture. And finally, two Massachusetts Democrats, Representative Richard Neal and Senator Elizabeth Warren, are arguing over how to let Americans file their taxes online. Neal, who chairs the House Ways and Means Committee, has sponsored a bipartisan bill to modernize the IRS, including provisions to protect low and middle income taxpayers but it also includes a provision that would prevent the IRS from ever creating a free online tax filing system. This is something that's been actively lobbied for by Intuit, the maker of TurboTax, and has grabbed the attention of Elizabeth Warren, who's repeatedly introduced doomed bills to let Americans file their taxes online for free. She, not surprisingly, opposes Neil's efforts, arguing a public system is needed to replace, or at least supplement, a current IRS partnership with private tax filing software companies that lets around 70% of Americans file their taxes for free, but which is hardly ever used. So file this one under... Well, I guess it doesn't really matter, so long as you file it and Intuit gets paid. And we're done. Big thanks for listening, and to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great National Farm Animals Day, and we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.